Welcome to Backyard Philosophy, a podcast where a couple friends grab some cold ones, sit around the fire, and talk about science, philosophy, and history. Crack one open, sit back, and get a good laugh as we discuss everything from automation to why the meaning of life is 42. What do you call nuts on a wall? Walnuts. What do you call nuts on your chest? Chestnuts. What do you call nuts on your chin? Nothing, because there's something in your mouth. Today we're going to be talking about walnuts in California, and joining me is Nick. Nick, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing great. I got some 10 barrel real good summer ale. It had someone fishing on the outside, so I had to buy it. We got my friend Chandler here with us, who's a Walnut Farmer in Northern California. Chandler, how you doing? What are you drinking? Pretty good. Um, long time listener, first time guest. I'm drinking Moose Rule Brown Ale from Big Sky Brewing. Nice. Mike, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some Larceny Bourbon. It's kind of been my go-to lately because I can't find my normal bourbon. But Chandler, I am excited to talk about you because one, you're a Californian, so I, you're already my enemy. But two, you're a farmer, so I already love you. So I'm in conflict here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, let's see, I'm 25 years old, California born and raised, unfortunately. Deal with a lot of crap doing that. (laughs) I grew up and decided I wanted to work on and help take over my family's walnut operation here in, uh, not gonna dox myself, uh, Northern California. Uh, if I might ask, how many acres or how big's your family's land? We own about 200 acres, we lease about 50 more, and then we do a lot of uh, custom harvesting. How long has this land been in your family's name? This land that we have right now, since over time we've bought more parcels adjacent to each other to build the empire we currently have. But we bought our first land in this area in the late 60s. Uh, My family came on the wagon train to California in like the 18, late 1800s, I want to say 1870s. Um, and they farmsteaded land south of San Francisco in Mountain View, California. And they had a huge operation there. It helped pretty much develop that whole area. Like there's Today there's street names uh, with my family's name and like churches and historical society and shit, but I don't go over there. Well, damn, your roots run deep, didn't you? Oh, man, the first pun... That's too early. Oh, oh there is, we're talking about nuts and trees. There's lots of puns here. But out of curiosity, Chandler, is your walnut farm, is it English? Is it black walnuts? What type of walnuts are they? In California, we grow English walnuts. I believe in southern regions of the United States, they grow black walnuts. Or like when they grow walnuts, it's usually black. But in California, we do. Uh, we graft into English varieties. I just kind of learned what grafting was the other day. So that ties in perfectly i did not know that was a really possibility so that's small world small world it's like neat science like one of those one of those things and also out of curiosity uh do you have i this this is probably a big topic point do you have water on your land do you get federal water from the delta Uh, because right now in case people don't know water is kind of scarce in california so i imagine as a farmer like yourself water is quite literally the key of life well we're Where our farm is located right now, we're right next to a major river. So ordinarily we would get, we have water rights to that river. 
so we can pull water from the river or our water district pulls water from the river and gives it to us. But in times where that's not allowed or that's cut back by state regulation, um, we have a lot of well, we have a system of wells where we just pull up groundwater from the aquifer that pulls the same water from the river. So we haven't had an issue yet from lack of water. Knock on wood. The state, this, yeah, this, the state keeps uh, trying to find new ways to reach their fingers in and tax water or just like limit you, kind of regulate what you can and can't do. Oh, fun. Not only are you dealing with the red tape of the government, you're also dealing with the red tape of state government. Fun, fun, oh, there's fun. Nothing red, there's nothing red about what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, from a newbie, I only did some research on walnut, so I'm not as familiar as you. Uh, September okay. to... Well, yeah. All right. Touche. 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 But from my understanding, September to early November is typically your harvest season. So you're kind of in the recording of this kind of in the beginning of the coming up on the beginning of harvest season. Is that correct? Yep. I'm already losing my hair from stress and already drinking more than my average amount. Uh, There's no such thing as an average amount. It's always called more. And if your glass is empty, you need more. All depends if you're talking to your doctor. Whatever. (laughs) Average is like four inches, right? <laughs> What's uh? Do you want to talk people through how how you harvest the walnuts? Steps that gets it from the tree. Oh yeah, sure. Um, these days it's all walnuts is a crop that is um, mechanically harvested. So every step of the process is using a machine, whereas other tree crops will rely on like manpower and picking and hand picking fruit. Walnuts is entirely mechanical. So we start with the tree shaker. It's just a giant diesel-powered um, machine that runs down the rows, has hydraulic clamps that will pinch the tree, like clasp it, gra- firmly grasp it. And then there's like a some weight system that like rotates and spins at a high velocity. And that just really shakes the hell out of the tree (laughs) a diesel vibrator yeah that'd be a unique way to put it (laughs) all the nuts at that point in production are are hanging on loosely to the tree so when you give it the shake it's gonna fall right out and then straight onto the ground and then next up is the sweeper which is it's like a mini combine if you can relate it to like a harvesting corn or like row crops it has a head on the front with uh aug- i guess you could call it relate it to an auger it is that a windrow yeah kind of it pretty much has all these tines that spin and just kind of sweep the nuts in the middle of the tree row to one side of the head so out of, out of curiosity are the machines weaving in between the trees because i imagine you know, trees dropping everything in the circumference. I'm just, uh, how do you get in between the trees? Is it going in between the cuts, or is it just going down the rows? Well, the sweeper, thank God for engineers, I could never do their job. But the sweeper also has a high-power fan blower, and it just blasts air to one side of the machine. Oh, so that's nice. It sweeps the nuts. You drive right along the side of the edge of the tree, and it sweeps the nuts to the right, and it blows 
everything that it missed to the left. So, so it just collects it for the next row. That's nice. Yeah. You do wind rows, so you're going to blow all the nuts in between the trees into the next row so you can pick it up on that pass. Oh, nice. So, so you pick it up. Gets, yeah, it gets all the nuts in one line in the center of the row. And then we have a machine that has, like, little fingers that runs over. It's pulled by a tractor. It runs over that line, and the fingers kind of pick up any large items, like if sticks or other trash is in there, it'll pretty much pick that up and separate it and leave the nuts on the ground. So that, like, kind of cleans the row and just leaves the walnuts. And then after that, we have the picking machine, which is pulled by a tractor, does about the same thing, but instead of the fingers, it's um, a belt, and it just scoops up all the nuts along the line, has a high-power fan that sucks, like, leaves and other light materials out and blows it out, and then it just fills a bin with all the golden golden walnuts. Yeah, walnuts are... Lord, I did not know how big a business walnuts were. I mean, just in 2017 alone, the value for California of walnuts was $1.5 billion dollars it is brown gold you got there my friend well, i'm glad i'm glad you looked at 2017 <laughs> i work with the usda gives me and they don't they don't really give me anything new except for 2017 uh, the, the last couple of years with covid and the china trade wars and all that it's hard to hurt on the number that we get for the walnuts but it, it's it's still better than a lot of other things so uh you collected the walnuts you have the walnuts all what do you do with them after you collected them, after shaking them off the tree? Well, once it's harvested and put into, or it's harvested from the field, hauled out of the field and put onto a truck, um, there's different ways. You could fill like a giant tanker truck with an elevator, just load up huge bulk tanks with walnuts or fill bins and haul a trailer full of bins. You pretty much, within 24 hours of the nut coming off the tree, you need to have that walnut at the drying facility, which there's dry pullers and dryers all over the state. But what they do is the walnut comes off the tree in like a green husk or a hole. It's like a protective coating around the walnut shell, and that just helps it, de it develops inside that. So the first step of processing it is removing the hole, which a lot of the times it comes off anyway, just in harvest. But if there's the first step is cleaning the walnut, getting all that off, and then they'll go through like a rinse cycle, like wash off any dirt or mud or other whatever substance. It just cleans until it's just the walnut shell. And then it fills like these giant bulk tanks that have heaters hooked up to them. And I don't know, I don't know the timeline of it, but I think it sits in the dryer for about 12 hours. And that just cooks the walnut, like removes to a certain moisture percentage where it's ready for long-term storage. And then from that point, it's packed back up on a truck and shipped down to whatever port in California that is going to package it or distribute it to wherever it's going. Nice, nice, nice. So uh, out of curiosity, do you prefer in-shelled walnuts or shelled walnuts? Me personally like the in shell because that's how I get them and I get some sick pleasure out of cracking them by hand. <laughs> but different markets uh, prefer 
uh, different things. Like I think the European market, the nuts that get shipped over there, uh, they prefer in-shell walnuts because they have, like me, like a long-standing tradition of cracking nuts by the fire. That's like part of their, what they like to do. So a lot of nuts will get shipped over there in-shell. A lot of nuts uh, domestically for the United States market will get uh, shelled or cracked, and you just send the meat to the market in little plastic baggies that cost $8 a pound, whereas we get like 70 cents a pound. They spend what? a lot of money on plastic, I guess. Well, I, I did not not realize until doing some research on this on how big the international market is for walnuts. I That was unbelievable to me, and I, I'm happy you brought up Europe because I only know about walnuts really going to Asian countries and the United States. I mean, from what I could tell, about 80% plus of all U.S. walnuts are grown in California, at, like quite literally grown on your farm. So it's just amazing that business that you operate and how wide reaching it is. Yeah, our um, biggest market is China. And in the last 10 years, India started really being a huge market for the walnuts. Um, Really, India? That's interesting. That I saw coming. I don't eat a lot of Indian cuisine, so I don't really know what they use it for, but I know they want to buy it, so I'm all for it. Um, Out of curiosity for your harvest, what's like your harvest time? So I'm just curious on, say, your 200 acres of how long that takes to harvest, like three days, four days, two weeks, a month? Oh, that's funny. Um, we usually start around the end of August or the first week of September, and we usually try to wrap things up by Halloween, the last like day or the last weekend of October. That is a long so, period. Is that just because there's so many trees? Is that because their trees are coming in at different times? or? Yeah, it's um, kind of the size of how much we have. And then we have different varieties that are ready at different times. So you try to space out which field is ready to harvest at different times. So what what's your spacing? How many trees to the acre do you have? And is that based on how well they grow next to each other or what the machinery can, can interact with them at? Um, that would depend on the variety. There's... A lot of older varieties that grow huge, massive, wide over time. And the old way, they used we just pulled out a field that had 50 by 50 foot spacing, which modern orchards, that's like unheard of. Or like that's really poor planning as far as like what that ground could produce. Um, a, lot of, a lot of our stuff these days is 30 foot by 30 foot spacing um, to fit more trees on the land. But some people these days with certain varieties that don't grow as large, they're packing those things in like 30 foot row, but 10 foot or 15 foot spacing. So it's almost like a hedgerow. From a person who knows nothing about trees, how tall do walnut trees get? Again, that depends on which variety. Let's say non-compact one. A non-compact one? Okay. The tallest one I've ever seen in my experience, um, I'm a bad judge of estimation but maybe 60 foot tall that's a big boy as nick goes i've seen taller trees hey all size do- size doesn't matter it's that's why i got matters. into conifers it's all about size chandler so, <laughs> i'm happy you two are married it's all about the nut size <laughs> my pollen and the fruits like some conifers have pretty big fruit and bodies <laughs> those, those sugar pines 
cones will knock you on your ass. Um, walk us so like if you're set, you're setting up a new orchard. So first thing you got to do is I guess pick a variety, and then you got to get like your ground leveled for irrigation, or you put your irrigation in. How would you start by starting starting over basically? Well, it would depend on what irrigation system you're going to put in. Um, a lot of what we do, we flood irrigate. So we just have valves at the top end of the field, and we have the field laser leveled to have a drop, gradual, whatever percent it is. So the water's going to flow downhill. So if you're going to flood irrigate, you need to have the field where you want it with a slope. If you're not going to flood irrigate and you're going to have like micro jets or some kind of sprinkler system, then the groundwork, it doesn't need to be as flat or perfect or precise. But um, yeah, groundwork would be the first step. And then planning your irrigation system for how you're going to get water to the trees. And then you just kind of mark out the tree rows of where you want the trees to go. And you drive the tractor with the auger down and just punch holes every however far your distance is. And then you just kind of walk through, plopping the little saplings in. Well, wh- what most people do is they buy like a year old or slightly older um, greenhouse tree. saplings. Yeah, like little novice saplings that already have like a root ball and they're already large enough that they have a higher chance of taking to the soil. And you're already going to have a leg up a much um, shorter time to grafting like you're not gonna you're not waiting for a seed to emerge and like survive out of curiosity how long does it take for a walnut to start producing nuts that depends on the rootstock you would use Um, there's two two main varieties of rootstocks there's black walnut rootstock which is more natural um, like a native species to there's California black walnut. There's Texas black walnut. Um, it's more native, so it's better suited for soil. Like, it's healthier, not as prone to diseases. Um, but it grows a lot slower compared to what scientists at UC Davis have developed as Paradox rootstock, which engineers and scientists, I don't know what the hell they do, but they do a lot of stuff right. You give us caffeine, um, we make stuff work. And I'm so happy you somehow brought Texas into this tree talk. That makes me so happy. Um, they've, through genetic, not genetically modified, but through like messing with eugenics. I don't know. I don't even know the words. I didn't go through that much college. Selective breeding? Um, yeah, selective breeding or something. Something in a laboratory. They made the Paradox rootstock, which is, a, it mixes black walnut rootstock with the rootstock from an English walnut species, but it promotes a lot faster growth, and you can tweak it for certain soil types or certain environments that you could anticipate facing. But a black walnut rootstock, to answer your question, uh, will normally take like 10 to 12 years until if you graft onto a black walnut rootstock, it's going to take about that long before it's commercially producing to the point that you can harvest it. Whereas if you use Paradox, it might be closer to eight years. So you're going to get return on investment a lot sooner. Literally cutting the time by 25%. But the difference is with black walnuts, you don't need, you could hard, like if you have a black walnut tree, you can get the black walnuts, stick it in the ground, and it's going to grow a, you can grow your own rootstocks that way. 
without having to go through a nursery and spend a lot of money. Hmm. Uh, since you mentioned like black walnut is hardier, is uh, how does like the different diseases like uh, crown gall, I believe, is a disease I came across caused by bacteria that affects walnuts. Is mm-hmm. one a little bit more naturally protective against those diseases, or do all of them need like different uh, herbicides for? Well, crown gall is a bitch. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's a story the, there. Put that one on the <laughs> Once you have it, you can't get rid of it. It's like tree cancer. And how it's spread, it's a soil-borne bacteria, and it can't enter the tree unless the tree is, like, wounded. So, like, if you hit, if you're digging and you hit a root and, like, take bite a chunk out of that root and it's exposed to the soil, that root could get crown gall from that wound so is there any way to prevent it spread um yeah prevention is usually just um sanitation and like if you're using pruning shears cutting wood off of it you're going to want to if you accidentally cut an infected tree or if you stick your pruning shears in the dirt you want to like pour some bleach over it to try to kill the bacteria off of it um and just being wary of not damaging the trees at the trunk close to the dirt. But black that walnuts, is a it's serious not disease. It's not 100% uh, against it, but it has a lot harder time catching crown gall as opposed to paradox where it can spread like wildfire. Is crown gall like the most dangerous for, because I, I believe you said you're growing English or paradox walnuts. So is crown gall your biggest threat for your personal farm or is it a different problem? Well, it's like cancer. It's a slow death. Mm. Like we have trees that have had crown gall for five, ten years that still produce a crop that we can harvest, but they're not growing as fast or that they like stop growing. It still produces nuts, but the tree's just slowly dying. And o- over a certain amount of time, the tree will eventually just dry up and die. Is the wood even usable afterwards? Because I imagine if the tree's dead, you're going to dig it out and... I don't know if the, you can even salvage the lumber. Um, the English, well, there's two types of wood with walnuts. There's the graft wood, or like the scion, the English walnut wood. That's the top half that grows the walnuts. That stuff is trash, and it's just brush firewood. Get rid of it. Bur- <laughs> yeah, firewood. Uh, the bottom half, the the rootstock wood, is the part where it's more interesting. The black walnuts have usually when they get to like 40, 50 plus years, like the trunks get really swollen and huge on the black walnuts. And that is also very valuable for if you've ever had a car dash, like in a really old vintage car um, that has like the walnut grain trim or uh, walnut gun stock or i love woodworking so i love working with walnut so that's that's why i'm asking all right i like playing with wood when you hear about walnut wood being used in craft in like wood crafts it's usually the black walnut um the burl or like the rootstock that has like all those nice lovely swirls and like cool wood grains and colors it's really valuable for that but they don't really use it as much anymore in things now they kind of just print out the texture on stickers and it's out of plastic they replicate it so the actual real walnut rootstock isn't as valuable these days oh that hurts my heart that does hurt my heart 
Speaking of age, so what's what's the age variety on your guys' property? What's your oldest stand and what's your youngest stand? Our youngest, we planted some maybe two, three years ago. And our oldest, we just pulled out some trees that were about 60 years old. But we have a small little piece with trees that are no one knows for sure, but we speculate it could be 80 to 100 years old. God damn. So None walnuts. of us have been around that long to really know or hear tales of when that truly was planted, but that's what we kind of think. Well, it seems like walnuts have a hard, uh, hardy long life. They don't seem like they're one pump chumps and done. It seems like, like you said, 60 years old for your oldest. That's That's really long, even for some trees, especially harvesting trees. Yes, Nick, I know there are other trees. If you take good care of them, yeah, they'll last you a long time. When I went to college and sat through classes with a bunch of other, like, field crop farmers that have to plant a new crop every single year, I'm like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. (laughs) 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 Sounds like it sucks. (laughs) A lot of work. Yeah, have you guys tried not doing that? (laughs) (laughs) But out of curiosity, besides Krongo, what else is kind of dangerous? I, I imagine... I mean, invasive uh, species the, like the, the most, wooden the worst beetles pest or... is probably the, the state of California, if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's, they don't make a spray for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of ends with brass and starts with lead. Yeah, other uh, pests or fun or yeah, a fungus would be a pest. Um, we have light, which is a fungus that um, affects the trees during bloom, or like in the springtime when magic is happening and the tree sperm and the tree flowers and all that shit uh, i didn't do that well in college by the way as far as terminology goes <laughs> uh, well um, sorry since you mentioned the flowers i i since it's a flowering plant do you import bees to uh pollinate or how do you help pollinate the field or is it just natural just by itself other trees um will require pollinators like bees to transfer pollen from the male to the female part of the plant but walnuts are uh, monoecious or dioecious wind pollinated other words that kind of came and went through college walnuts don't need that they're wind pollinated so the tree produces enough pollen that just from it fills the air like even on a non-windy day it's going to travel from the male to the female part of it well that's nice seems like they're hardy they live long get kind of big high producers and they self-pollinate walnuts are kind of a win-win plant it seems like yeah that's why we kind of went that route it's not there's work to do but not that much because your your property or not you personally but you know when your family owned it it was originally is it oranges or something else before walnuts where we are now and uh where we have the walnuts we used to have pear orchards we used to grow pears but that was very labor intensive as far as you need, we needed to hire 200 um, migrant workers to come work for us in harvest time to pick the fruit off the trees. And just how expensive and hard that was to come by, as well as pears were also very finicky and required a lot of pesticide and fungicide application. Like you're just nonstop spraying those just about just to keep the product marketable like it's so easy for the pears or other like fruits like that to it's so easy to lose your crop like you put so much work in and then you don't get 
that much money for it on the back end. So we switched to walnuts, primarily because of how easy they are, comparatively. So what I mean, kind of vegetation management do you guys do for the, the walnuts? Because you got to keep your competing plants down to make sure all that water you're putting out goes to your trees, right? Yeah, it's a bigger issue in a field that's freshly planted for a, with young trees in your orchard um, where there could be some creeping or like vine-like weeds that can crawl up your young tree and act literally suffocate it. Um, other than that, it's just whatever grasses and weeds grow in the row between the trees and we keep that down with just like mowing it, mowing it down. Um, in the tree rows, we'll use weed spray and uh, weed whackers to just kind of keep all the other vegetation down. But that's more for looks as opposed to it doesn't affect the tree growth that much. Gotcha. And then you guys, you, you trim those trees too, right? Yeah. Um, we do a lot of pruning um, of low limbs. We cut a lot of dead wood out or like if there is something like Botrysphaeria or blight that kind of kills one branch of the tree. We'll try to go in and selectively prune that out so that it stops or slows the spread of diseases like that from spreading. Um, other than that, we also do um, selective pruning to promote growth. Like we'll top the trees. If a tree is young enough and it's, it has uh, fresh shoots growing up on the top of the tree, if you just kind of cut the top, little sections of those shoots it um sends signals or like plant hormones to the rest of the tree system to promote growth lower down instead of growing up if that makes sense like the tree wants to do two things it wants to grow vegetative and it wants to grow nuts if you cut the shoots that are vegetative growing tall it tells the plant okay all this energy we're gonna make nuts no that makes sense I know for conifer cone production, if you stress the tree out, it'll produce more cones. So I imagine it's the same way with uh, nuts. Guys, you're making it you're making it too hard for me not to say. It. You're stressing me out and like wanting to nut. Come on, you guys are you guys are just lobbing them up for me. I I I feel bad even mentioning it. So uh, <laughs> we're just gonna ignore that. Okay, gotcha. Yes, we're gonna, pretty much gonna ignore everything you say. Um, Try making jokes at a walnut growers meeting it's a very serious place <laughs> just yeah, as quiet as that was you just have to tell them to your friend who's sitting right next to you because first off everyone else has probably heard it already and everyone else made the connection so you're just the guy who's pointing out the joke everyone got so it's like now you look like the idiot and then something never stopped me before actually want to have a conversation about uh, the effects of stress on hardwood growth so that's uh you never know who your audience is i guess Oh, speaking speaking of the stress, I I know California probably it's the hardest thing right currently is the water drought for not just your not not saying your farm in general, but I'm just saying farms in general for California. I imagine from what I, my research is walnuts are a thirsty plant. That's what I that's what I gather. I could be wrong. Please correct me if I am wrong. But no, the water intake's got to stress them. Sorry, say that again. No, you're you have the right idea there that it's very water intense plant during the growing season and i imagine having not enough water has got to stress out the plant and that's got to severely limit on how much production walnuts are having yeah there is a lot of telltale signs during harvest um, when you harvest the crop and take it into market 
and then inspector U.S. Not, I don't know if it's USDA or California Department of Agriculture inspectors will pull a hundred nuts from your line uh, or from your at random hundred nuts collected from sampled from what you bring in, and they'll break them up and spread them out and see what that lot looks like. And you can see if there's too much water stress or the trees didn't get enough water during um, the growing season when the nuts are developing inside, uh, the nut, the meat of the nut will shrivel. And it's like, you can tell on that end, but you can also tell throughout the growing season, like if the leaves are droopy, if the leaves are discolored, um, if the sun, like if there's sunburn on the outside of the nut, like, it gets black on the green hole. Like, there's a lot of telltale signs throughout the growing season if you're not getting enough water. And if you can't add, if there's no water to add to it, then you're kind of shit out of luck. Black on the green hole? I'm not familiar with that. Or the green hole. Green. Color green. H-U-O-L. Not H-O-L-E. Gotcha. Gotcha. I... Sorry about that. Uh, okay. So, I... Can a... How Walnut tree you recover from that? These plant terms. I know space. I don't know trees. That's why I'm such a fool, and I make jokes about nuts and walnuts. But, well, because uh, it's a tree, it's it is resilient to some degree. Like if it has water stress one year with a drought, and then the next year you have no problem with water, you can get that tree back to what it needs to be. Um, but if you have five, ten years of giving the tree bare minimum water, then it's going to stunt the growth. And it's still going to produce nuts, but it's not going to meet the growing yield that it should for its age. Like we have some trees that are 40 years old that that we lease, but the previous owner didn't really pay too much attention to them at the time. So the trees are stunted in growth. Mm. So they're the same size as they have been for the last 20 years. They're not going to... They're stunted. They won't get any bigger. They're just producing nuts at that same stage until they die. For a tree that's stunted, do you graft them or you just kind of let them be until they pass? Um, if you wanted to, you could cut the tree down and regraft it. Uh, I don't know. No one really does that, so I don't really know the effects of what would happen. I would think it's stunted in the roots, in the root system as well. So you can grow another tree from it but i don't think it would i think persevere and do some well yeah so i'm just kind of curious about what it's like being a grower in in california you know you came up to idaho for schooling and got to see you know what freedom was like for a little while uh even though it's such an ugly state what are what are some of the differences that some of those idaho guys just would never understand about growing a crop in california well, as much of a dreamboat as it seems like, I've never grown anything in Idaho, so I don't know exactly where the lawn, where the line is drawn of what they don't have to do. But here we have so many permits, like a spray permit. Um, you need to log each and every chemical that is applied to your field and almost get permission to be able to put it out. It's not quite that strict but you do have to keep a well-detailed log of everything that you put out um, and then we have meters on all of our wells so the state can tell how much water we use how much energy we use um, with the 
all the wildfires and wildfire risks. There's a lot of power outages all over the state in our area. Um, and then the state kind of willy-nilly can just decide, oh, yeah, we're going to cut down your water usage this year, and you're only allowed to use this much. So is your, your guys' irrigation system, is that runoff of electrical? So, like, if you lose power, can you not irrigate? Yeah. Um, our wells run on electric, or the pump runs on electric, and we don't have any, despite my um, suggestions, my boss doesn't want to install any solar panels. Yeah. It's kind of the old old generation versus new generation, one of these days. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little bit of that going around anywhere you're at. Out of curiosity, since you mentioned the wildfires, has the wildfires affected walnuts, like harvesting crops or anything like that? Um, as far as how air quality affects the nuts, I haven't heard anything about negative about that. Um, well, I imagine that much carbon dioxide that trees are like, ooh, give me more, give me more, give me more. Like cocaine. <laughs> no, that's Oregon. Um, that's where Nick's at. <laughs> that's where the cocaine's at. And no one raises any brows down in California for that. I-5. <laughs> I-5's the largest drug smuggling corridor in the world. Um, Not that I'm bragging or anything. Wildfires, though, I don't think it's a very major problem for walnut crops in particular. What's the uh, the longest amount of time your your guys' power has been out down there? We are in the Sacramento Valley, so there's far less risk. Of, they shut down the power for wind, high wind-related risks for power lines. If a tree knocks over a power line or... The power line pole hasn't been serviced in so long, and it's a piece of crap and just falls over with the wind. Uh, that's a much higher risk in the foothills, or like in the mountains, where it can spark a fire. Down in the valley, it's it doesn't really happen that much. So we haven't lost our power frequently. Like, we've maybe lost it for one night, two days, like very short. Is that so just the like year or yearly? Um, it's happened the past couple years, just kind of off and on with the weather. So if uh, just losing the power for a day and losing that that irrigation, how what is that gonna like? How long can your plants go without irrigating? You think yeah, it would depend on the time of year. If it's middle it's, of summer and yeah, heat of the summer, high temperatures, then the trees need the water really bad. Um, other times of year, if you add a little bit of water stress, sometimes the year it's good for the tree to have water stress. Sometimes the year you can't. It, it hurt. It does a lot of damage. Well, with water stress, this is this is gonna sound like a dumb question, probably to both of you. But since there's crop protection, I assume walnuts probably have crop protection. So if California just tells you to stop pumping water or pump so much water, can you ask California to pay for your crop because they force you to stop watering your plant? That is a good question. As much as California loves giving out money, I don't know that we've ever had to deal with that or had to look into seeking payment from them for that i know rice farmers get a lot of subsidies uh we have a lot of neighbors that grow rice um but i think that's more of an issue with uh row crops or crops where you do plant every year and then oh we can't plant this year so they'll get a subsidy or they'll get reimbursed or insured to some degree for that year without production with trees i don't know that you really can get compensation unless you can prove that your trees like died 
due to because your trees if your tree survives you can harvest next year kind of thing. damn walnuts all around they will survive <laughs> it seems like there's such a hardy plant i don't know why people don't grow more of them i mean there are some fruit orchards that if they have a bad year and they have insurance they could just not harvest and collect the insurance crop insurance payment for that year with a lot of crops like uh, prunes pears and like like peaches fruit varieties um, where it's very easy for the bloom to go bad there's rain during the flowering and the blossom period just nothing takes so people orchards like that will normally have crop insurance but i don't think it's very prevalent in walnuts because there's not as many problems well that seems like a win-win for you at least where hey if it's not fix if it's not broken don't fix it and walnuts just keep on going seems very hard for walnuts to get <laughs> that there's a joke in there somewhere it has a hard shell so continuing on the, the topic of farming in california i know you guys have kind of something similar to, to oregon with when you burn your piles you take your trimmings and clippings and you burn them but you have to get permission from the state when the air quality is good but it's kind of hard when you live in a, a valley yeah that is something we do have to deal with there's two ways to get rid of your orchard trimmings. One way is you can hire or own your own a grinder and, or like a compost, not a comp, it's like a stump grinder. A wood chipper? It, a wood chipper. Masticator. Um, you can run all your wood waste through the chipper and have wood chips as a byproduct that you could sell or compost or do that stuff with. But that's expensive and very it could you could run into problems like if you have so much waste to get rid of and then oh our machine broke kind of what most people do because just of the simplicity and ease of it is they'll burn brush piles which in the valley in our proximity to a large city such as sacramento uh, we have a burn permit through our county which on a day we decide to burn we have to call the county and they check what the state tells them to say, oh yeah, no, it's today's a bad air quality day. We don't want people in Sacramento with asthma to like feel a little uncomfortable. So that sounds awful to call someone and say, hey, can I burn stuff on my property? That sounds awful. To be fair, it's a pretty large fire. See, now you're just teasing with me. I love fire, so I'm not seeing anything wrong with this picture yet. It's um, if it's one farmer doing it, it's not an issue. But when you have to manage all the farmers in the valley, if they all decide to burn on the exact same day, the exact same morning, then yeah, air quality could turn to shit pretty quick, I suppose. That's just extra. As opposed to every summer when the smoke just lingers from the wildfires in the entire Pacific Northwest. Well, hold on. That's a state-caused wildfire, so yeah. when, when the state does it, it's okay. Yeah, so when... Yep. <sighs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. You can't get a little bit of smoke into anything, but as soon as it's a wildfire, oh, we can just smoke out the, the state for weeks at a time. And now we can't burn until the end of the year because of all the smoke, when ordinarily we'd be allowed to burn maybe at least once a month. Now we can't at all. So that's how quickly your piles get for your trimmings is about once a, once a month to burn out or is that just trying to keep ahead of it trying to keep ahead of it um if we if we burn the piles while they're smaller it's easier to burn the entire thing or like there's less that doesn't get burnt um it pollutes less if it's a smaller pile 
and you don't get the fire doesn't get so big that it can damage the trees that are near it because we just have burn piles on the edge of the field kind of thing. So if the, if the pile gets too big, then it could produce a lot of heat and could burn the edges of some of our trees that are producing. Yeah. So the fun thing about pile burning is, that, yeah, like if you're trying to protect a, a resource like your trees, you don't want to get too big, but the bigger piles are actually almost cleaner to burn because they burn so much hotter, they release less of the PM 2.5 particle, which is the one that every air quality is measuring just because it burns so hot that you don't get that. Now, you get that more when your fire doesn't get as hot, but at least for Oregon, when the state pushes back burning because they don't want to start a wildfire, which is understandable, when it gets wetter, it burns dirtier, you release more of that PM2.5 particle, which fucks up your air quality more. So the, the ideal time to burn is hotter piles, so when it's drier out, you know, right on the edge of that fire season window, but obviously you can't have everyone burn then because that's when you have the highest likelihood of piles escaping. But that is how you burn cleaner piles. You get them really fucking hot. Nick paid better attention in college and it shows. <laughs> well, out of curiosity, since you said some wood chippers you can turn to like compost, uh, do you fertilize your fields at all or are they just kind of self-reliant? Well, there's a certain amount of nutrients that gets recycled when you harvest. Um, like I said before, the nut grows inside the husk, the green hole, um, and throughout harvest, that hole will get ripped off or like left behind in the field, and that is a key source of potassium. So, And um, when the leaves drop at the end of the year in the fall, there's a lot of nitrogen that gets recycled. So just from the tree's own waste that it produces will get recycled into producing nutrients for the tree for the next year. But in commercial production, you want to promote more growth of more nuts, and that's going to suck up more nutrients than are naturally there. So you're going to add uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium to the system to really kind of force feed the trees to get those nutrients to the nuts for development. And out of curiosity, since you're in California, do you have to get permits for that too? For fertilizing? Yeah. No, not necessarily. Um, they do watch pretty heavily um, n your nitrogen levels because there's a big um, worry about nitrogen leaching into the groundwater, which how an aquifer works, I share the same groundwater that my neighbor shares because we're pulling from the same water source underground. So if I leach too much nitrogen into my soil, he could be pulling some of that up in his field, in his well. So California tries to regulate or tries to make you keep detailed track of how much nitrogen you add to your trees and estimate how much nitrogen is recycled through the leaf drop, how much nitrogen is pulled out of the nuts, like when you harvest and take the nuts out of the field, how much nitrogen leads the system when you do that. You have to try to figure all these things out to keep track of um, the nitrogen level so you don't get nitrogen into your groundwater and you know a more appropriate amount how you need to fertilize when you add fertilizer. So your, for your burns, are you not collecting the leaves as well for the burns so that, that the leaves can recycle the nitrogen back into the soil? The leaves, um, at the end of the year when they fall on the ground, they just kind of sit there and decompose naturally over the winter. 
over the winter gotcha, time. Gotcha. We it's kind of our off season, so we do kind of bare minimum maintenance around things that need done. But we just let the leaves decompose, and then in the springtime, uh, whatever leaves are left and are in the way, we'll we have a shredder that or it's like a mower. We just kind of chop up chop up the leaves into smaller pieces. Oh, that's nice. Just kind of recycle, like, kind of nature doing it for you. I got I imagine that right after harvest season, it's got to be one of the best feelings. To be like, oh, I'm done. I could just drink and eat my walnuts and kind of relax and less be less stressed for just for a moment. There is a lot of drinking and a lot of nuts. <laughs> that just sounds like a good time. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> well, what's but, uh, obviously harvest time is like the most stressful, but it's like the best time to be a walnut farmer. Like you wake up in the morning, you're ready to go out and, and farm some nuts. What's what's the best time of year? Is it the off season where you're not doing shit, or the off season is when I have the most time, free time to do whatever I want. But it's also when I have the least amount of money to do it. Um, <laughs> a yin and I, yang. If I had to choose, yeah, I, I would say harvest is my favorite time because that's when I'm working the hardest and it's the most stressful. But every every moment of the day is focused and driven on wake up in the morning. I know what I have to do. At the end of the day, you just feel so accomplished after. Well, really, you could... You could also come home being very angry and breaking things uh, depends on how the day goes but us- usually it's satisfaction of no free time to even worry about anything it's just okay so what am i doing tomorrow it's so taken up in harvest that that's the only thing that's on your mind and there's a little bit of clarity to that so out of curiosity how long is your day uh during harvest season um we're not those bullshit sun up to sun down kind of harvest farmers <laughs> that's all big talk um we do it um depending on what field we're harvesting that day a lot of fields are in sections like there's okay this field is 20 acres we can get through it in one day this field is 40 acres okay we're gonna take two days to get through this so it's a lot of planning search. a lot of thinking yeah you just kind of see how far you can get in one day and there's kind of some bottlenecks as far as what equipment takes longer to go and um what gets you what slows you down but you just kind of end when the work ends for the day when you run out of things that you can realistically get done and you just hit that wall and say all right you know we're gonna save the rest for tomorrow out of curiosity what's the most stressful part of the harvest is it shaking it is it mowing it is it uh, what what is or shipping it out what do you personally is it you told your wife you're going to be home like an hour ago and you're still working (laughs) there's no communication with the wife during harvest um in a perfect world the perfect harvest there's no stress everything just works but when when on earth has that ever happened being a generational family farm all the generations of equipment that we have we still run equipment that's from the 1980s so a lot of that stuff breaks almost religiously so that would be the most stressful part is you're in the middle you're in the thick of everything's going on oh we have this 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 we need done and then oh well this cog in the machine doesn't work anymore so now that entire system of shake sweep pick we can't do the next step because this one in the middle is broke 
So everything needs to go to fixing that piece so we can continue harvesting. And if you're down an hour, if you're down a day, that affects what you needed to get done that day. That affects what you were hoping to do tomorrow. That affects, oh, we were going to go to this other field tomorrow or next week. Oh, well, that's going to get pushed farther down the line. Oh, machines. Can't live without them. Can't live with them. I am very fortunate and very grateful for machines. (laughs) I would not be a farmer if I had to do everything by hand. (laughs) It's a pretty honest answer right there. (laughs) Yeah, Frank maybe wouldn't be the best farmer then, huh? (laughs) Or he'd look a lot different. That's for sure. When researching walnuts, I saw how much water is used for cleaning and prepping the walnuts after they've been harvested and shipped off of the ship of the cleaning them, the baking them, and then going through multiple processes of cleaning them or deshelling them to have them ship out to different areas. And I'm just curious, do you think watering your crop takes more water or simply cleaning your harvest takes more water? I am not very involved in the processing portion of the nuts. Fair answer. But I would assume that how much water is used in the production and growing of the nuts would be a much larger quantity um, as opposed to the production or the processing portion of it. Fair enough, fair enough. It's got to be a hard number to quantify though, right? So say you use X amount of gallons a year, do you divide that per nut that comes off the tree? But then next year, do you divide, do you just do a yearly thing? So do those first... The stages where the tree can't grow the nuts, do does all that water usage be applied to that first harvest, or does it get divided by each subsequent harvest? Well, well I imagine that much math, I wouldn't be a farmer. I imagine you do it by poundage, like how many pounds you have divided by how many gallons you have. Right. Pound but, per gallon. So for the first couple of years, you're going to use a lot of water and not get any pounds. But then after your initial, you know, you get that first harvest from that tree... Do you just divide all those by the what you think the future poundage per year is going to be? No, well, I imagine it. The water you it's... put in doesn't directly correlate to the weight of nuts that you pull out. A lot of the water is lost through well, transpiration. Evaporation. evaporation into nothing gets wasted. Then there's transpiration, evapotranspiration that the tree uses in photosynthesis in the leaves, and then. The, whatever smaller portion gets used in the tree development, tree growth, and nut growth. I I imagine it's pound divided by gallons times trees that can produce minus minus saplings. That's just quick quick math in my head. But speaking of water, um, I know California and all of the West Coast is talking about having more desalination plants, so tearing salt water into fresh water. Uh, do you think that would help the not just the wallet farmer, but the average farmer in California to have simply just more water so you're not maybe getting regulated as harshly as you are? As far as California as a whole, I would see the benefits in that as far as larger urban areas being able to produce, like usually coastal, would be able to produce their own water from their water system instead of what happens is a lot of California's water is produced from snowmelt, 
in the mountains. Like it snows in the mountains and then the water system, it melts, goes into rivers. And then from rivers, it'll go into aqueducts that go to the farmers, that go to big cities. But California's water source primarily is from the mountain. And a lot of it comes from Northern California, where there's more snow and more mountains to feed the system. So if Southern California and more urban areas were able to desalinate the ocean to be able to produce more water for their own system, then that would allow Central California needs it the most because they rely heavily and really don't get as much as they need. Uh, But that would allow the farmers upstream from those cities more water that they desperately need. And another question for you. If you had a magic wand, now we've already gone over it. Walnuts to me are quite fascinating because how hardy they are. They just don't seem to die. They just keep on pumping and I love it. They remind me of like a diesel engine. But if you had a magic wand to change the walnut tree, like you had control of CRISPR to add any gene to the walnut to make either the tree better, the nut tastes different, just a magic wand to do whatever you want to the tree. Out of curiosity. Can I guess his answer? Sure, Nick. What do you think his answer is? Move his property to Idaho. (laughs) Well, isn't that the dream? Everyone get out of California? But say you can't. Say you're trapped in California forever. How do you want to have a magic wand to either help with the harvesting or farming or growing of walnut trees or just the actual walnut trees for yourself? What is like a technology missing? What is something you wish you had that you didn't have? Just what's something on the bucket list or the dreaming list? Very good question. Um, I'd have to say I wish that the roots could emit some toxin or some plant hormone that would limit the growth or like stunt the growth of other surrounding grasses and weeds. Interesting. The walnut tree growing could change, alter the ecosystem around it to limit the growth of weeds and grasses around it. Well, there you go. That's a, there's a fern, uh, bracken fern by me that produces its own sort of herbicide that kills competing vegetation. So there you go, Mike. We combine those two and million dollars. I mean, yeah. Get some CRISPR, splice in that gene that produces its own herbicide, add it to walnuts. Seems like a win-win there. But out of, out of curiosity, uh, are the root systems deep for walnuts? I'm, I, I, I imagine a water hardy tree such as that grows deep roots yeah um typically especially as as they get older and larger um the root system will go deeper and wider uh they're known for having pretty deep roots and tap roots um they also it's said that if you add water stress to the tree in the summer months not just you're still irrigating it but if you can alter the irrigations and like spread them out a little bit farther. There's some theories that they're working on and testing out where they're saying if the tree gets thirsty, it promote it promotes root growth and it'll make the roots reach out farther in search of water. Whereas if you just keep giving the tree all the water it ever needs, why would the roots need to grow? You're putting water where the roots need to be. But if you can make the tree want it, it'll work for it a little bit make the roots reach deeper and deeper and they might be able to get some more natural water make them even hardier on their own that makes complete sense to me and that's also extremely fascinating of pushing a tree 
but not pushing it too far where it's stressed out and stunted. That's that's a hard borderline to figure out, hard line in the sand to figure out. But, Nick, that was the only questions I have. I've learned quite a bit. Nick, do you have any further questions? Well, one last question. The old the old Joe Bloomsburg question here. If someone hands you a million dollars, are you buying a bunch of new land or you're buying a bunch of new machinery? A million dollars, I'd buy a bunch of land outside of California. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd sell my land in California and use that money to buy machinery. There you go. Big brain. Going to go start farming wheat? I don't know the first thing about it, but hell, I could probably go back to the University of Idaho and figure that out. <laughs> yeah, your million dollars, you can definitely afford an education there. Well, I think that's about all I had. Chandler, uh, reading anything good? Um, not recently, no. Figures that out. Mike, what are you reading? I am reading Tales from the Antwerp by, Adri- uh, by Edward Wilson. He's the guy who's the documentary for BBC Earth who does all those. He's traveled the world a lot and wrote a book on ants. What about you, Nick? What are you reading? Still working on the 100-year marathon, how China plans to surpass the United States by 2049. So great, great, interesting topics, that's for sure. But I, Chandler, it has been a pleasure. I have learned so much, and I have now a far new respect for walnut trees. And anytime you want to come back on the podcast, I think I can speak for both me and Nick. We would love to have you back on. All right. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram 